This is a Culture Inject production. Welcome back to Part of Us, an Invo Craze fan cast. It's a podcast dedicated to the discussion of one of the most iconic musical groups, In Vogue. If you'd like to follow us online, visit us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, at Invoke Craze. Stream our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Podcasts, YouTube, and anywhere else that you can stream your podcasts. Please also rate and review our podcast. Your ratings help us move up the charts and get our podcast seen by more people. I would like to introduce myself. I am Matt. And I am Joshua. So before we begin, I guess we should do some house cleaning, um, some announcements, some church announcements. Um, Send a shout out to Champ, who's not here today. Hopefully yes. back on the next episode. And... We miss you, champ. And okay, so also for some house cleaning, we're just going to go over some things that are going on in EV land. Uh, first, I would like to acknowledge that as of recording, we're recording today, September 25th, 2021. So that means tomorrow will be Cindy Heron's birthday. And if Wikipedia is correct, that means she will be 60 years old, which I just can't believe. She doesn't right? look a day over like 30. But that's a milestone if it's true. So happy birthday, Cindy. We yes. love you. Thank you for all that you have done for the Vogue Legacy. We adore you. Happy birthday. And also, on a sad note, I, it's come to my attention that we've lost uh, a member of the Invoke fan base named Shanika Bowens. You might have seen her tag on Instagram, that blessed girl. She passed away. I'm not sure when. Um, it was not too long ago. I'm not sure the exact date and I'm not sure the cause, but we would just like to send out our condolences to her and her family and um, just God rest her soul. Yes. Also... It looks like Maxine Jones allegedly owes producer St. James $32,000 in unpaid studio time. Heavy that, emphasis on the word allegedly. Allegedly, <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's interesting because, you know, I was like, well, let me research this a little bit. Uh, and so I looked at another podcast. I think it's the Marty James, Marty Johnson. I forget the gentleman's name, but he has a podcast and he brought St. James on the show. And St. James basically said that he was in the studio with Magazine. He was starstruck, so they never, he didn't have his business together. So if he didn't have a contract or anything like that, it is alleged. And I see that there's no legal action taken. Um, I, You said that there's no paperwork, so I don't see how she owes you. So if I can rule, I'm throwing the case out of court. Next time, make sure you have your paperwork in order. Listen, how is it 2021 and people are not getting their business in order? I don't know. <laughs> You know, and I mean, I think, but that's the thing, though. I think a lot of creatives now, you know, they 
they they go with the flow, you know, the energy, the vibe. I'm so sick of the word vibe, but you know, the vibe is going and they're creating and it's like, oh wait, I don't have any paperwork. We don't have any type of contract. Um it, it it's 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 irresponsible because like you said, it is twenty twenty one. We know what time it is. We've heard too many stories about people not, you know, handling handling their business. But I have to say though, the songs I was in Dominican Republic when the songs came out um, that Max did with St. James, and they're quite cute. I mean, they're well produced. Like, I mean, he's a decent R&B producer. Um, Max sounds good. Um, so, I mean, I hate that this is happening. Um, it's kind of embarrassing for for someone to be like, "You owe me thirty-two thousand dollars." But I mean, at least we get some cute little, you know tunes from it i mean he put the songs out anyway i guess he's trying to recoup some of some of what he thinks he's owed exactly Um, but you know i agree i mean i think like he is on the songs too so were they her songs or your songs are we trying to use her for a come up i don't know because you don't have your paperwork in order so i just don't know how we've had decades like we've literally watched left eye all of the diddy stuff like like how do how do we survive like survive decades of hearing about how business should be solid before you before you do anything and people are still out here giving stuff away for free and then worrying about the paperwork afterwards i don't understand it i think people are just people are uncomfortable having those conversations and i mean i always say there's nothing to me paperwork is always comfortable like when you know when you know what it is like to me that is the highest level of comfort possible you know what it is i know what it is there's a meeting of the minds there's no confusion um we can proceed you know knowing that we we both understand what's going on here you know i would be uncomfortable knowing that i'm recording songs with you and we don't have any idea as to how we're going to release it you know what you know what's going on you know studio time is not free we all know that (laughs) right right exactly and magazine i like magazine we love you magazine she's a capricorn she's going to get her money and i think uh there might be some people who want to address like comments that don made about her trying to imply that like magazine kind of um colluded with the promoter to not pay don but it's just like people 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 get your paperwork in order um stop accusing people of things when you have no proof and you can't go to court and present anything uh like we've said it's 2021 like there's books about the music industry you could google it there's all kind of lawyers on twitter you can get docs signed online for 50 cent get your stuff notarized get your stuff signed handle your business stop accusing people of not paying you and then not being able to show any proof because when it comes to court it's gonna get thrown out and that's that on that I guess we should dig into today's like the meat of today's episode. Um, so we are talking about Born to Sing. Born to Sing was released on April the third, uh, nineteen ninety, uh, and it's since been certified three times platinum by the Recording Industry Association of America, uh, selling over three million uh, copies in the U.S. alone. It featured four singles with accompanying videos, Hold On, Lies, You Don't Have to Worry, Don't Go, 
Hold On was released February 23rd, 1990. Lies was released June 27th, 1990. You Don't Have to Worry on October 31st, 1990. And Don't Go on March 21st, 1991. So here's the really special thing about all of those singles. All four singles reached number one on the R&B charts. And the album garnered a Grammy nomination for Best R&B Performance by a Duo or a Group, which is rare. I mean, four number one R&B singles, like they were killing it. Um, the album reached at, uh, it peaked at number 21 on the Billboard 200 and reached the third spot on Billboard's R&B album chart. It was also ranked 53rd on the Billboard 200 year-end chart and also ranked 11th on the R&B album in gear chart. Can we just talk about for like a brief moment how in 1990 your album could peak at 21 on the Billboard charts and you still sold 3 million copies? Right. Wow. Right. People can't robust. even get to a million now. Like, right. And they can, you can debut at number one and not even go gold. Yep. <laughs> It was a robust music industry back then. I, I mean, I really, really miss it. Everyone really was killing it back then. Even the people that didn't chart, they were still selling a lot of albums. Like people just love music. They love to buy music and support good music. And the thing that stands out more to me is like, like right now and over, I guess it's been this way for the last 10 or 15 years, but everyone is focused on the first week sales. Like how much did you sell the first week? You know, back then you could you could debut at number 65 on the charts and, you know, 50 weeks later, you're in the top 10. You know, it was it was, they looked at the long game and they really the labels really worked the albums. They really promoted. They really got out there and made sure that the consumers knew who the artists were and understood, you know, what they stood for and what they were selling. Records yeah. had legs back then. I would like to say, though, I have to call out, I think it will be Rhino Records now because I'm pretty sure Born to Sing did sell 3 million records, but for some reason it's still certified one times platinum, and that cert- is from like October of 1990. So even though it was still on the charts and on the charts, they never updated the search. So I'm calling out Rhino Records and I'm calling out, I guess, is it Atlantic or Warner? I don't know, but update their plaques. Um, right. Come on with that. I'm sure Born to Sing has done more than 3 million in the U.S. Like, it had to have. And that was a huge record. Um, but criti- So, critically, um, the reviews were positive also for the album. Um, the L.A. Times writer Dennis Hunt found that, quote, uh, unlike most female groups, these four R&B singers can really sing and do some passable rapping, too. <laughs> In Vogue admirably performs a batch of mostly well-crafted um, ballads and mi- uh, medium-tempo songs. Daryl easily called Born to Sing uh, immediate and, and infectious. The group's vocal blend and succulent choice of songs was designed for maximum commerciality and silky anecdote to the gangster rap that was then so prevalent in the U.S. Spin Magazine writer Kevin Westenberg said, Those girls are some of the baddest things around. They are phenomenal and harmonizing. That's the kind of stuff you don't even hear anymore. You used to hear it in the Moonglows or the Five Keys. As a matter of fact, I can't think of a girl group of that era that could sing that perfectly. And actually, that's Etta James who said that. It was Etta James who told Spin Magazine that those girls are bad. You know, it's so crazy, though, that like... 
they got so much hype for just being able to sing in the music industry. <laughs> like that to me sounds like it should be a very basic qualification to like you're going to be in a group, everyone should be able to sing, but clearly that was not the case uh, for groups. Like Etta said, with female groups, I did like female groups that could really harmonize at the level of the men, especially not in the 80s, maybe like the Pointer Sisters, maybe a couple in pop music, but who, what girl group was really vocally just incredible? Not good, not had great songs, but like vocally were like, wow. Right. And shout out to the Pointer Sisters since you brought them up because I think they are heavily underrated for being like vocal beasts. Um, love the Pointer Sisters, but yeah, in Vogue, definitely, even with the Pointer Sisters, I mean, they, they had something that the Pointer Sisters didn't have. They, they had a, a very sweetness and a very, a very special quality to what they did together. Yeah, I just don't think any group really is touching in Vogue as far as talent. That's just my opinion. On to the actual album, the album cover. Did you like the album cover? Was it iconic to you? Was it cheesy? <laughs> I struggle I struggle with this y'all. So so uh JP called me the voice of reason last episode. So I'm going to I'm going to own that. I'm actually going to try and maintain that, but this is one of those like well maybe this is reasonable. I feel like the album cover in its context of 1990 was probably beautiful. In 2021, I just don't like it. Like, <laughs> I, I'm not a fan. It is quite cheesy to me, but I also respect it because that was what, I mean, and I feel like that's also representative of the album too. It's very time and place appropriate and specific. And so like for then, like that shit was popping. But like now I look at it and I'm like, that is not quite timeless. We're not giving, <laughs> we're not giving classic timeless looks here. Um, the hair is doing a whole lot of things. <laughs> the outfits are a little churchy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it it's it is the it was the introduction, so I can't be mad at it, right? Like that is that is how many folks first saw them or or consumed the album. So like I'm not mad at it. It's just it hasn't aged well. <laughs> well, I guess I'll be the voice of reason today because I love that album cover. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I don't know if you guys can see in the video, but I have like a little CD montage of like all these um album covers and born to sing is right there um i love it it is i mean it's it's not it's i don't love it the way that i love like the funky divas album cover but something about it to me just is very sweet it's very like simple we're in our white purification outfits (laughs) (laughs) we're on the beach and the wind is blowing it's easter sunday we just got baptized like it's giving (laughs) All of that, we're going to sing a joyful noise unto the Lord. And I love it. Like, I think it is very cute. You know, it is, it's, it's cute. It's sweet. It's very debut album. Um, you know, it's, it's not, it's not giving what Funky Divas is giving because that is like top tier best album cover ever. But Born to Sing, I think it's, it's, it's very cute. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it too. I think it's it's cute and it is their introduction. They're fresh faced and I mean it's sometimes it's kind of good to have that what do you call it? Um that 
difference in where Smoky Divas is like it's really professional, high fashion. So, you know, it's nice that they kind of started off just, you know, regular black women from Oakland, California, from Texas, from wherever, you know, middle class background, you know, and then they kind of progress to the Funky Divas thing. So it's nice to have progression. <laughs> that is so democratic of you. <laughs> I I just knew I was going to be like one of all, like I just knew all of us were going to be like, it's trash, but no, I appreciate that y'all like it. I still don't, but you know, it's fine. <laughs> um, but it's interesting. So, like, aside from the visual of the album cover, um, there's a lot of there's a lot of elements that make Born to Sing really unique for the um, for the album and where it was in its time. Um, so, just for some context, I'll throw a couple of examples out. All of the group members sing lead on the album. Like, when does that always happen? The fusion of R and B and hip hop very present. I mean, acapella, they were flexing acapella muscles. That is mm-hmm. rare. Mm-hmm. Uh, harmonies, nobody, I mean, like someone, I think Matan, you said this earlier, like groups weren't harmonizing, period, because most of them groups at the time were flashing the pan. They couldn't sing. So <laughs> <laughs> I listened, I was listening to a lot of freestyle music. So I've been like really, and I love the bops that was coming out in like late eighties, early nineties from the hey. pop freestyle girls. Yeah. But baby, they could not sing. Um, and so <laughs> this is, a, this is a rare sort of, um, uh, moment because all the girls could sing and they were, and they were flexing harmonies in a way that nobody was really doing at the time. Um, but what else or what of those things really resonates with y'all or what else do y'all think is, it makes the album unique? I listened to the album. I've been listening to it like since before we started, just because, you know, on Apple music, you get to select the songs that you want to hear over and over again. So you don't always listen to the full album. And what stood out to me the most about this album were those interludes. Like, they started from from track number one, like, really showing so much personality, having so much fun, um, you know, clown, like, showing what women went through at that time period, um, going to the club, meeting a man, you know, wanting, not wanting to be bothered, you know, showing all that personality. Would you like to dance, baby? You no, know. I don't know you, and furthermore, I don't appreciate the way you approached me. Well, I never. And you never will. And you really like interludes, like in Vogue and Janet Jackson are really the only two artists that I can think of that really utilize like the interlude very well, especially like consistently weaving it throughout the album. And I think that really stands out for me. Right. I agree. I think the interlude show kind of the chemistry of the group. And you see that they're more than just voices. They're more than just pretty faces. They're actually these women that are funny, witty, and then they interact with each other. So that just makes them even more of a group. And so when you have a song like, well, not a song, because it wasn't really a song, but Party in the beginning, like, okay, they're funny. And then Cindy and Terry and Strange are hilarious. And then uh, what's it? Boogie Woogie, Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy, whatever it's called. That, like, just, you know how, like... 
not that version, like how they could just interact with each other. And then, and even through to, um, what is it waiting on you? Like just hearing how like Cindy is kind of talking to Don, like I wouldn't take it if I were you. Like it just gives, it makes them a cohesive group. I think it helped make them a cohesive group. So like, when did y'all actually purchase the album? Like, did you get it when it was released um, or, or later? Because I think I told you guys before, like my first In Vogue CD, well, it wasn't a CD, it was a cassette tape, but my first one was remixed to Sing. So of course, Born to Sing was out first. I, I really never got Born to Sing until I took it from my aunt. She had the CD. <laughs> and I like, you know, just took it home with me and never returned it. And I still have it <laughs> to this very day. Um, so obviously I didn't get it when it first came out, but you know, I lived with it. Like anyone that I knew who had invoked, I was like, please put that on, put on that, that cassette and we need to listen. So when did you guys first get it? <laughs> I, I'm the, I don't Do we talk about how old we are? How old, how old, are you, how old are you, JP? How old are you? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm the baby in here. Um, just because like I was two when this album came out. Like, <laughs> so I didn't, Isabella Jenkins, my mother, shout out to Isabella, was not buying me an album at two. <laughs> um, but, um, so I like early, like early in vogue by like funky divas. I was aware. I remember like those, that's where memories begin for me, but like, I was working kind of in reverse. And so I think I was doing like a bit of a crash course. I was probably late to the born to sing game, but you know, I miss cassettes and CDs and I, I definitely remember having a CD. Yeah, it was a CD. Um, I miss phys- I miss holding physical things. <laughs> it's like, what was the things we used to do? Um, but yeah, I remember buying it sort of like mid nineties and, and working myself backwards. I don't know if I had it when it first came out, but I do remember actually buying it myself. And this probably had to have been a few years later because I feel like I already had Funky Divas and I bought a cassette. It was from a store. It wasn't, I mean, it was a store that sold records, but it wasn't a record store. I just remember there was like cassettes at the front and I bought Born to Sing. And this was probably, it was sometime in the mid nineties, but, um, I was, I'll just say I was born in 1985. So, but at the end, so when, uh, when Born to Sing came out, I was four and about to turn five in November. And so, like I said, I remember all of the videos. I remember all of that, but I don't know if my mom owned a copy of it, but I remember personally buying it, um, probably a few years later, maybe 93, 94. I was, I was, you know, eight-ish when the album came out. <laughs> when the album Come came on, out. Um, so, you know, I, was, I wasn't I was going to the music store to buy it myself. That's why I, you know, still have someone else's copy to this day. But, um, but yeah, and you know what's so crazy, though, Matan? Like you said, you, you ended up remembering um, that you bought it kind of in the mid-90s. Like, Albums used to really last so long. It was like you could you could listen an album could come out and like four or five years later, like it would still be relevant and you would still want it. Do you remember those? Um they used to be in magazine, like magazine inserts. I think it was like the, the music groups, the um like Columbia Columbia House and people would still be like Funky Divas and Born to Sing, like even in like nineteen ninety seven, nineteen ninety eight they would still be, you know, listed. So people were still probably ordering it for all those years because that's just like the quality of the music back then. Right. And just to, just to piggyback off something you said earlier about the certification, there are a lot of albums in the 90s that are not 
properly certified because they don't take into account the BMG Music Club and the Columbia House purchases because um, Mm -hmm. most of the certifications are done via like sound scan and through like actual um, brick and water purchases. So there are a lot of artists like Mariah Carey, Janet Jackson, TLC, who are notorious for having albums that are under certified because a bulk of their you know, catalog was purchased through a lot of those um, platforms or record club things. And, you know, the certifications didn't weren't included. Y'all want to talk about contracts and uh, business. I remember being like, I used to grab those inserts and they were kind of like, you had to read the terms because they used to advertise like 10 CDs for <laughs> one cent or something like that. But then you would get that bill and it'd be like they charge $20, $22 per, per CD or something crazy. They would let you get in with the introductory, you know, right. one cent. Right. But then after that, you're obligated to about like five or six, you know, a month or something stupid like that. Uh, but my mother, like at that point, my mom was like she she fell into it and we were just having all these tapes because it was cassettes at the time. We had all these cassettes coming in until... CDs became, you know, the the must-have, but definitely Columbia House and BMG supplied my music catalog for years. So now we're getting into Born to Sing, 1990. How does Born to Sing compare to other R&B albums released around the same time? For instance, you had Babyface releasing Tender Love, MC Hammer, Please Hammer, Don't Hurt Him, Bell Biv DeVoe, Poison, Johnny Gill, his self-titled album, Johnny Gill, and of course, Whitney, she had I'm Your Baby Tonight. Those are all around the same time, kind of new Jackish type of records. How does In Vogue, Born to Sing stack up against those? Um, I think it, it really falls in line. Like um, I think about Janet's Rhythm Nation, which came on in 89. It really had a very similar flow, very up-tempo, very new jack swing. Babyface and L.A. Reid were on fire at the time. Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis were, were on fire at the time. Um, so I think, you know, Denny and Tommy, they really, um, I think they really hit at a good time in the industry. And, and those albums, Born to Sing really stacks up against those albums for me. I agree. I feel like, uh, I don't know, like, I think I said this earlier, but... It, there's nothing that else. There's nothing that sounds like 19, like the late 80s and early 90s, especially when you think about New Jack Swing. Like, and so all those albums were solid because they shared sort of this like cultural sound of the of the time. And so, I mean, you had folks who were trying to knock it off and weren't doing it well, I'm sure. But like, all of these folks were dabbling in and around those sounds, and they felt it felt cohesive. It, it felt like everybody was kind of sipping the same stuff. You know what I mean? Like it was. You could bounce between artists and know that there was a consistency across sound, which I thought was really cool for the time. You don't feel that anymore. Mm. It's a lot. It's it's pretty disjointed now. But like, there's no shared like sound language now. Like, well, I guess you could say, you talk about vibey music. Everybody's doing that vibey shit right now, where there's no you know, it's like two minutes and no uh, no bridge. Um, <laughs> but you know, um, I think that's different than sort of the sound of. Uh, like what was April ninety uh, April nineteen ninety when this album was released? That's deep. I didn't even think about it like that. The other thing, like when I listened to to Born to Sing and some of those other records, like they sounded very hungry. Like they really wanted. You could feel the passion and the drive and the ambition that like they were chartering 
kind of new territory musically. Like, I feel like you can hear those things in the music. Mm, it was kind of like a bridge uh, to what was going to happen, a bridge from what happened to what was going to happen. It wasn't going to be that anymore, but there was kind of like, you know, the a stage of music evolving into something else. And um, yeah, I... I mean, I don't think I've had any of the albums listed besides Born to Sing, but of course I'm familiar with uh, My, 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 if that was on that record, but I feel like it's the same time, and Fairweather Friend by Johnny Gill, and of course, who doesn't know Poison, who doesn't know I'm Your Baby Tonight, and of course Hammer was huge at the time, and I would just say In Vogue was Born to Sing, it was just a very fun, lively, youthful album, and so I feel like all of those records were just kind of lively and youthful. And so we got to really enjoy just that, that music. We just had a lot of fun with it. And people were making, like people were making songs to party to. Like that's right. the thing that I, like the, you, like you could bounce between a lot of the singles off of some of those albums. And like from those that, that got listed alone, like that was half your party playlist right there. Like mm-hmm. and you throw in some of the born to sing you know, up tempos like people crafted to like because they knew that that's how people were listening to music. They were they were going out, right? Like, so did you guys did you guys see the the BET show that Carlos King produced where he took the old R and B girls from the R and B groups and made the new the encore encore? Right. So one thing that really struck a chord to me was one of the girls from Seven O Two was like, "We need some up tempos. We need we need to make you dance and." One lady was like, well, that's not what we do anymore. You know, we don't we don't make those kinds of up-tempo records anymore. Everything that's is... That's sad. Right. And I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, who wants to go to a club and hear these boring mid-tempos that you can't do anything to but just, like, nod your head in the corner and sip your drink to? You know what I mean? That's why every time you go to the club now... There's always like the DJ can't go without playing something that's a throwback. There is literally it's impossible to not play a throwback if you're trying to go to a club. They have to. These records from the 90s are still in heavy rotation because artists right now, they don't think it's cool to play up tempos to make people want to dance. And and when I talk about that hunger and that drive that, you know, the Jimmy Jams and um, the Teddy Rileys and, and, you know, the Denny and Tommy's, like, they felt that, that hunger and that drive. They wanted to make people get up and have a good time. And I think that's, that's definitely missing right now. Yes, it is. So the first single, of course, is the iconic Hold On. So um, the acapella intro was huge at the time uh, for a couple of reasons. First of all, it was acapella. It was acapella, excuse me. Um, That wasn't something that you heard ever, like in contemporary music. Um, Also, it sampled the Jackson 5. So you can never go wrong with that kind of old school sample that's familiar for people. 
Um, a song that begins with an acapella intro isn't necessarily radio-friendly or compatible. Often, the intro was absent from the song when played on the radio and instead went right into the beat drop. But people people really acknowledged that acapella intro. Whenever they would go to any type of performance, any award show or talk show, Terry was hitting it with that Jackson 5 rendition. <laughs> It, it also like I mean it's 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 different, but it like served a purpose. I always think of it as like it's like a subtle shade moment where they're like, "So your introduction to us will be us singing without music, like to show you we can sing." Like mm. it's kind of like a flex without being like I'm a flex on you for real, for real. They're like, "Let's <laughs> just st- you know this song, sing along, but also we're about to kill this." <laughs> Just a little slight shade, you know. Right, because I think a lot of people, they don't remember that there were lots of groups that were out back then. Like, In Vogue was not the first girl group. Uh, they weren't the only girl group in the 90s. They just kind of redefined it because they could sing. But you had Expose and the Cover Girls and Sweet, Sweet Sensation and Seduction, the Good Girls. And they just weren't giving, you know, strong vocals. And so... And Vogue came with that and it just flipped it on its head, flipped the music industry on its head. Like, okay, this is how we need to do it. And just, I mean, there was no looking back after that. All right. So the lyrical clarity versus the melodic engagement. Uh, The only thing I can think of is that lyrically, I think these ladies were singing about what was relevant to them at the time and kind of what they were experiencing as young women out on the scene um, and figuring out a way to put those thoughts and feelings into song. I would say that in the context of the time, one, people have called Hold On, the actual track, uh, answer to Who's Loving You. So basically, like, Terry is singing and Cindy's kind of answering her, which I think is interesting. That kind of... um, like kind of a call and response in a sense and the lyrics to hold on. I just think I, I really like them because they it's the way that the words were put together. It's not obvious rhymes. Don't waste your time fighting blind minded thoughts of despair. It's not just, you know, basic rhyme, you know, it's not exact rhyme. A lot of people, it seems recently, you know, the people that are on Twitter and social media that are just always miserable, miserable about something, they want to kind of go in and say it's like a pick me song. I don't see it as that in any shape, form or fashion. I think it's just more to me, just kind of like Cindy tongue in cheek with like a glint in her eyes. It's just like, well, this is what you need to do and you're good. And I I love that about the song. I always kind of took the song as being like, this is how you keep your man. Like, is that not, I mean, was that just me? Like, like if this is, if you want to keep your man, this is what you need to do. I'm going to give you a step-by-step instruction, you know, just hold on to your love. That's what it was. That's what it was. And, um, I think they did a really good job of putting it together, in my opinion. I know now, like, people just, they look for issues with any kind of lyric or anything like that. So now when you make a song like that, it's somehow pick me and, you know, misogyny. And why would you sing a song like that? But 
I mean, to me, it's just a fun song. And I don't think it was like, you know, stay in a bad relationship or anything detrimental. It was just like, you know, if you, you're you that in love, like you're crying, <laughs> you're crying over him and you want to know who's loving him. Then th- this is what you, you know, next time, this is what you got to do. And then the music just complimented the lyrics so well. I think um, the bass line, that bass line is just dun, 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 dun. It's so funky. I love that bass line. I love the piano in there. They mentioned that like the production was kind of sparse in the vein of um, Soul to Soul, the kind of music Soul to Soul was producing. I just think they did a really good job making a track that's just kind of minimal and funky and it just kind of just drives, drives the message um, of the song. And Cindy's vocals just soar, you know, over that beat and over everything that's happening. The horn stabs from the big payback. They just, I, I think it's one of their best. I love when Cindy goes in at the end. Yes. She is really giving the girls a, a step by step. Like, <laughs> you know, you got to keep the fire burning at home. He'll come home to you. He'll be there for you. He'll want to have you all the time. <laughs> She's like, I'm telling you what to do. You just have to listen. And that's another thing I miss. Tracks fading out where the person is just still going in. And you're like, well, what are they saying? <laughs> I also love that she was doing really interesting things with her voice. Like she was kind of twisting her voice in some of the, those moments or like playing with like pacing and stuff. So like... It was just like, it was, it's an intro, like you could take it bit by bit out and all the elements are really interesting to listen to. Um, but nothing beats, like, I love watching old YouTube performances. Uh, and I mean, they never really gave any bad performances really like to me, but I love when the, like watching the audience when the beat drops because it's, the beat is still so like, it's just still so good. And so when that beat drops, the whole audience just like, you see everybody just start to go and it's just like, wow, like it literally hit from, from jump. Right, so many great moments in that song. So like you said, you could take out so many different parts and it's just, they can, you know, and I think that song is sampled a lot. Like if you go to who, who sampled who, like they, people have taken a lot from Hold On. I don't know if it's been credited, but I know like Prince, I think it's Cream has like the drum, the drum beat is from Hold On. And then you have other people that might sample the acapella part. Um, you know, Pharrell, when he did Blue Magic with Jay-Z, he kind of, you know, reworked the bridge down. What was it? Um, Blue Magic. Basically, don't waste your time fighting blind. Stay your course. Something if the the JC fans they know that they got that from Hold On, and I even think Fable from D4L he used um, a part of Hold On. So it's just a it, that song is a classic, a classic, bona fide classic. And even like like lyrically, I think it's interesting that people would want to like try and float this misogyny argument, like <laughs> because there are so many other tracks where they are like calling men out or they are like you know it's it's a it is probably a more realistic understanding of like relationships at the time between men and women because it's not just sort of like pick me or like please don't leave me it's it's got it sort of as an album it's got lots of different um 
uh, things to say about relationships and women and and the thoughts that are behind the actions and all these other kinds of things, um, which takes us, I guess, to some of the themes. Um, there are some emotional themes and lyrical messages on this album, love, loss, redemption, um, the frequent references to love, heartbreak, and redemption uh, really set a melancholy and hopeful mood on the album. Yeah, this album, I mean, it, it like I said earlier, I was going through the album, you know, from the beginning, to just kind of experience the, the whole thing again. And I mean, I think they did a good job of, of giving a well-rounded body of work from talking about, you know, the, the strange men in the club. To, you know, the lies kind of addressing the nation and the politicians and, you know, Dawn became a raptress or whatever. Um, to, you know, part of me talking about the environment and, you know, which was one of my favorite songs as a kid. I remember like talking about the rain and, you know, like I didn't really get what it was about, but it felt good to me. <laughs> <laughs> So they they really do a good job. I think like when I think about the Invogue discography and some of my favorites, Born to Sing historically has not been like number one on my list, but it's a really solid, really great output from them. Like it, I don't think it gets the credit it deserves. Probably because I think a lot of artists, when you have such an uh, an album like Funky Divas, which was such a huge cultural moment and it was such like an evolution that I think maybe it can kind of get lost a bit but Born to Sing was a really great and solid album it is a great album I just love most of the songs which is where like now of course I have to be critical a little bit I don't think the songs are 10s out of 10s are great but it's just the flow and the feel of it like it's just a feel good record and it starts off feeling good party I mean I I do think Denny and Tommy maybe should have not used that James Brown song they could have you know even just a little snippet of a new song that would have made it hot like a little kind of a house track you know just to put behind it that would have made it a little bit more fun and maybe even have them sing a little bit on that track that's playing in the background that would have been nice since it you know it's listed as a track and not just a part of another song um and then strange is just a lot of fun it's just i'm it's just so much fun listening to magazine it's just like singing so almost cartoonish to me it's like got a feeling you've been lying to me lately it's just funny and then terry and cindy coming in at the end with their you know just you know god did you see his head it's just it's it's just a fun fun record and even the slow songs of course you have like part of me which is beautiful um time goes on it shows that they're kind of conscious they're just not airheads it's just not all about you know typical love songs that you'd expect from an r&b group they have another side to them they like Wendy Williams said they're elevated they're humanitarians they're philosophers so they gave you a lot of stuff but it just flowed really well and it was fun and so to kind of segue do those songs on Born to Sing do they succeed at evoking emotions and how does the album make you feel when you listen to it I think this album is really like wonderfully sequenced like they 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 placed songs well like, cause you know, that doesn't really matter so much anymore. People kind of just like, I hate the dog music out right now. Cause there's so, there is good music <laughs> out right now, but like the mainstream music, I feel like people don't give as much thought to how an album is sequenced and the track listing and all these other kinds of things. And so I think the reason that it, it 
brings up all of the emotions or it, it gives it succeeds at being um sort of emotionally um evocative is because of like the way that the order the order of the songs and the sort of uh the thought behind it so yeah i mean like mm-hmm. the tender moments are so tender and then the party moments are really and then like it just sort of hits all the things for me and i think that it would hit differently if um because i went back and i also listened to it from start to you know you pull out your faves but you i listened to it start to finish and i was like okay i get it again (laughs) like this makes sense it's not like my favorite either um from them but it is like for an introductory project it does a lot of work yes it does um i just i love i love this record what are your favorite songs and standout lyrics from born to sing so, you know, what's crazy is that, like, when I was younger, I think it's because I got the remix to sing <laughs> cassette first, but, like, that, I think I only had, like, a few songs, but Strange is one of the remixes up there. And so, in my mind, Strange was always, like, a big song, and so when I listen to it now, I love it so much. Like, Strange is one of my favorite songs, and I, I, I feel let down that it wasn't a single <laughs> I feel like it could have been a fifth number one. I love that record. You know what? I think it might have been a dance single and it might have gone top 10 dance. Don't quote me. Maybe that's what it's love, but I think it might have been a dance single. Yeah, it just seems like it would. It just, I don't know. It seems like it would It would fit, but I love that record. I love Just Can't Stay Away. Um, the The Natalie Cole remake. I never realized how close, like, I mean, Terry pretty much basically did it bar for bar the same way that Natalie did it, but it's a really good remake. And there is a video of, of them getting to sing that with Natalie, a little clip of it, mm. which is really cute. Yeah. Um, so that's one of my favorites from the record. And also Love Lines is, is really neat because it's very different from all the other songs on the album. It's got like a little dance hall feel to it a bit, like. I guess would that be dance hall or I don't know. It's got a little something, a little Allen feel or reggae or something. I enjoy that one too. What about you, Joshua? I, I was so happy somebody said just can't stay away. I just I just needed somebody to bring it up because <laughs> I like I, I'm I'm obsessed with all versions of that song. Like I love Nat I love Natalie Cole. Um Rest in peace, Natalie Cole. She didn't get her flowers. Rest in peace. She, they, we just sort of acted like that didn't happen. That bothers me. Um, like she didn't get the pomp and circumstance on her way out that I feel like she deserved. Um, the Grammys. I'm very upset yes. with them. They didn't even. Yeah, but you know, part of that. Well, that's a whole other conversation. Where I think a lot. <laughs> I think a lot of that honestly had to do with the fact that because I've thought about this, like over quarantine, like during COVID, I went through like a. I've always loved Natalie Cole, and one of the eerie things is that right before she died, I had literally ordered her greatest hits like double disc compilation the day before she died. But over co- co- over quarantine, I was like listening to Natalie heavily, and I realized like her discography is very like. You know, the first half is a very R&B and soul. And then she totally went to like the jazz thing. And I think it seems like maybe because she was so far removed from the R&B and soul world that maybe they were like, it just wasn't top of mind for them. You know what I mean? Like, I I agree. That's that's valid. For all intents and purposes, by the time she passed, she had largely been a, a jazz adult contemporary kind of space for a while. 
But that being said, I just love, I love hearing multiple voices on that song. So that's why I love it so much. It's just, it just, it's perfect for me. I feel like that's like the standout for me. Um, but I also really, I really do love, um, you don't have to worry. It's just, kind of, it's got, oh yeah, it's got like a brooding kind of like, it's not as in your face as some of the other ones, but like it's got, it's sexy to me for <laughs> like, it's just, it's, it's a different kind of mood. And so I think those are my two faves. I mean, obviously, hold on. I will pop it until my poor knees give out to hold on. But like, <laughs> I, th- th- those two in particular are really standouts to me. Yeah, you don't have to worry. Like, those performances, like, the choreography that they used to do back in the day, like, while Cindy was on lead and the other three were, like, just dancing for their lives back there. (laughs) Well, the choreography, which choreography do you like? Because the one that they did on, like, Arsenio and that they would do in, like, televised performances, I'm like, ooh, this is kind of, But the ones that they did in concert, like, I'm like, okay, I like this choreography. So which choreography did you like? I like the ones that they, what they would do, like, on, on, like, Arsenio. They were back there dancing for their lives back there. Yeah, they, I mean, they really were. And it's crazy because they would be singing. Like, I mean, who, like, nobody's doing that anymore now. Like, they would really be going for broke dancing. And then, like, during a dance break. And then they would have to go back to their mics and sing. Like, nobody does that anymore. And they're probably one of the only few girl groups who have done that. I know, like, Troop did it. They were good at doing that. But there's five guys in Troop. And Vogue, you, you know, you have four ladies. And sometimes it's two in a lead. And then there's a break. They're going crazy. Then they have to get back to their mics and start harmonizing. And incredible incredible um and just before we go into the next topic i just have to say my favorite tracks which i agree with basically what you guys said like i i I don't think there's a track on born to sing that i don't like i do love you don't have to worry i think it's a great vocal from cindy and i think cindy there's just a certain magic to her voice that i don't think anyone else in the music industry has that i know of like to to me she doesn't sound like anyone else and what she's able to do with her voice and how fluid it is when you have these tracks where there's all of this stuff happening because um like you don't have to worry there's that doom 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 like um i guess that would be the baseline or the rhythm section and then you have this piano there's just a lot going on um with the track and she her voice is just so at home and so warm in it and she's able to kind of be agile and kind of stretch it stretch it around but it never feels stretched you know to the core it never feels out of place so she just did such a good job with that vocal and I feel like FM um uh, Foster McElroy did a wonderful job with the production on that track of course hold on it's probably I just think it's one of the greatest songs of all time so that's one of my favorites that part of me the girl's together all together on one song hearing all of their voices blend and then be solo that was a beautiful moment on the record and I have to give you know credit to lies because lies like they took a a song calling out politicians the nation's leaders as well as teachers practice lies as a way of life like they (laughs) they have that uh lyric in a song they took it to the top 40 on the billboard hot 100 like I don't think a girl group really would touch many would touch a song like that and make it a single like that was very bold and so and that's one of my standout lyrics so just I mean the born to sing like I feel like I could pick any song and just go on and on and on about it so I'm gonna stop I'm very curious though as to have you guys ever wondered like how they came up with 
who sings what on what song, like who sings lead on what. I mean, you got four great vocalists, but what made them go like, okay, Cindy, you don't have to worry and hold on. We need you to, to carry those. Like, what do you think was the deciding factor? I don't think anyone could sing those but Cindy because of her, the agility and fluidity in her voice. I think maybe being a jazz, having that jazz background where you can do all these polyrhythms and you just, ah, you know, going up and down the scale. I just don't think anybody could sing the song that Cindy led on but her. Um, but, you know, did you hear when Don said that she was originally supposed to do Don't Go? No, I didn't. I didn't hear that. She said she was originally supposed to do Don't Go, but she had issues with the lyrics. And so Terry got it. I guess um, her being the youngest and her having a church background, she said it was a little too sensual for her. And so she <laughs> she didn't want to do it. Wait, 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 wait. Who said what now? There's been a lot of interviews that Ms. Robinson has given over the last 12 months. Oh, we, resolved so. that in the, we resolved that in the first episode, friends. We're not going to go back there. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I did hear that I think that does sound familiar though yeah so maybe some I mean there was like and then how we talked earlier about Cindy not wanting to sing a certain song on the EB3 record so maybe some people didn't feel comfortable but mainly like I feel like any song Cindy sang like it was hers Terry and Don they have similar tones so you could kind of try to play with it and then maybe you know hopefully we can ask um some of their producers how they chose who sang what but Maxine I feel like she has a very specialty voice in my opinion um and so they really wanted her at the bottom and they needed her bass for a lot of songs so maybe that's why she didn't get as many solos as the other ladies did and then with Terry and Don it was just kind of like a toss-up like okay well you know Don she doesn't want to do don't go terry's gonna have don't go but don has love lines like that that's what i'm thinking yeah terry and don's voices are definitely i don't want to say interchangeable because they both have very they both have differences in their voices but i could definitely i think they could be on you know they could swat they could switch verses at any time you know more so than the other ladies. Maybe this is like a, a unpopular opinion. I, well, this is, I'm just going to say it. And maybe I won't agree with myself tomorrow. I don't know. But <laughs> um, I always think that like a lot of times in uh, girl groups and on albums, when girl groups get lucky enough to have multiple albums, like there's kind of like shining stars. Like, you know, like I think about TLC, for instance, like not qu- mm-hmm. not quite a vocal group. Um, but um, <laughs> <laughs> shout out to Deborah Killings. Um, shout out to Deborah Killings. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, like first album for me is very T-Boz centered. Like second album is like, well, no, first, I don't know. Then my opinion changes. It's left eye, I would say. I would say left eye. And then second album is really T-Boss centered. And then third album is just hella chilly to me. Like, even though Maxine sings the least, I guess when you do the math on this, I just hear her so, like her voice stands out so much to me on this album. Maybe it's just because I love this kind of sound of music and her voice. So like, I don't know. It's just, I, I got to give her a little shout out because I hear her holding down things that aren't leads, but 
like she's still killing it in the back. And so mm-hmm. I, I think that's important too. And like you said, her voice is so interesting and kind of like she can do a lot with it too in a, in a, in a way that I think Cindy kind of does. It's interesting. Dawn and, and Terry, like you said, JP have like this sort of similar thing. And then I feel like Cindy and Max have these unique, more unique, less traditional sounding voices that can kind of do interesting things, which is why I think that they work as a foursome. Well, don't forget Max let them have it on um strange. Okay. <laughs> when she when she stepped to the front, she stepped to the front. Okay. She was like, let me let you know. You know, um on lies, at the end of lies, she let them have it again. Yes, she did. And at the end of part of me, she did too. She showed that her upper range. Yeah. There's there's a video of of them, I think during the funky divas era. And Max was like, she was working on her fourth octave. I have not. I vaguely think I remember her hair is kind of like up. She's wearing a natural hairstyle. And yeah, they were in like rehearsals for something. And she was like, yeah, we're all, you know, we all have multiple octaves. And she was like, yes, I'm, I'm working on my fourth octave. I was like, you go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> you stretch, you stretch those chords. Yeah. I, and I think that's another thing that just makes them so awesome is that like, Maybe they're not all classically trained or professionally trained, but they put in so much work, whereas a lot of groups that started as, you know, like young children or something, um, or that were just kind of put together because of how they look, like there's just so much musicality with each lady. Um, and the magazine being a trained singer, Cindy having a trained background, Terry having already, you know, sang at Prairie View and been in groups before. They just brought so much talent to the group. It's incredible. So since we talked about the songs that we all love, I have to say the one song that I really don't enjoy is Waiting on You. I can't do without it. I don't enjoy it at all. I think Don is probably going to block me for a fourth time for saying, <laughs> for saying that, but I, I, I don't She will unblock it. you and then block you again just because. <laughs> <laughs> just for good measure. But um yeah, Waiting on You. Um, for those who may not know, that is the actual track that they all did for the auditions. And according to Dawn, um, the version that we hear is the uh, audition version that she did um, at that point. Uh, what What do you guys kind of think of, of that? Uh, it is, it, there's a reason it hadn't been discussed until... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it is it's not bad it's just not like a standout to me like i think when you attach the little fact like the factoid that you know this is it is interesting it makes me kind of appreciate it a little bit more um and i think it says something about how an al- a, a track was deemed album worthy that was recorded the day of the audition which tells you the strength of the the singers who were right. on the track so it is an interesting song, Waiting on You. I can't keep wasting my time waiting on you to come home. I like the saxophone on it. I think saxophone is, you know, rare these days anyway. Maybe back then, like, everyone had saxophone. But I think it's by Grover Washington, who's like a legend. So that's kind of cool to me. But it's a bonus track, so I won't, you know, say too much about it. It's like a bonus track. It was on the F Mob album that came out or FM Squared album that came out maybe a year or two before. And it was a bonus track, I think, for CD. So if you had the cassette, it might not have been on there. I know it's a bonus track in some shape, form, or fashion. It's, um, I mean, some people love it. 
some people love that song and that's what i'll say some people really like it well uh, since we're talking about born to sing the the debut album of in vogue we have to kind of acknowledge that um 2020 was the 30th anniversary and there was a remaster edition that was released and it had a bonus track called mover did you guys take a listen to that i'll pass (laughs) (laughs) wait a minute wait a minute voice of reason what is happening i'm feeling a little shadier today i'm sorry it's (laughs) i I don't i don't dislike it again i just think that like you know some things are in the vault for a reason and that's okay (laughs) yeah i have to say though when i when i thought you know when i heard there was going to be this bonus you know unreleased track mover i thought you know this is going to be exciting. And I heard it and I was like, well, okay, they could have kept that where it was. And It was like a Japanese commercial or something, right? Like, I think they, it initially when it was released, it was a Japanese, it was for a Japanese commercial, commercial, I believe. Um, and yeah, it's just, to me, like knowing what we know about Invoke being fans for so long, I don't think I'll ever be excited about an unreleased track just because a lot of the tracks that are released <laughs> maybe should be unreleased as well. So I don't think I was expecting too much from it. And it's just like, I mean, I think the situation with Invoke is they're such great singers and people are like, oh, you're so good. You can sing the phone book. And a lot of times that's what a lot of the songs end up sounding like. Uh, I mean, great singers. Is I, I love to hear their voices, but it's just like sometimes the music has to help the artist, the music, the production, the engineering, the instrumentation, all of that needs to be assisting the artist. It's not just the artist's voices that are going to make you love a song. It's going to be bridges and hooks and stuff. And I feel like a lot of people that work with don't give that to them, unfortunately. And so that one I wasn't too excited about. I did love the remixes, though. There were some great remixes that were a part of that um, that re-release i agree that it yeah i love a good remix i feel like remixes are like a really a really good remix like balances like the integrity of the original thing that people love and then like makes you think about it differently or like feel differently or move differently and i just feel like they, they there's a couple on there that i was like okay there was work put into this it wasn't just like let me throw this on like let me throw a beat on top of the same you know whatever it was it was good yeah, I like the Kwame. I like a lot of the Lies remixes. I was like, oh, these are good. All right, so final thoughts, you guys. It's Born to Sing, an iconic album that stands up there with the greatest R&B albums of all time. And where does it land on your list of favorite R&B albums? I am a Born to Sing fan. I'm going to place it very high. And here is my, I guess, my campaign for Born to Sing. I'm campaigning for Born to Sing to be on the, uh, what is it, the list of greatest R&B albums of all time because it was really a watershed moment. And like I said, you have to take everything into context. So we can't start where where we are now we have to start back in 1990 what was going on and i feel like born to sing is the album that launched a thousand girl groups and maybe even some male groups too there's a quote about the velvet underground their album 
I think it only sold about like 60,000 copies, but someone said the reason why it's important is because everybody who listened to it started a band. And I feel like, of course, you know, Born to Sing sold so many more records. Everyone who listened to it didn't start a band, but you had Left Eye. In the last days of Left Eye, you see Born to Sing like, you know, up on her wall. Coco has said the record has changed her life. I'm sure Destiny's Child listened to it. The Spice Girls interludes like pretty much every other girl group who came after it's because of the success of born to sing, um, all the way to the pussycat dolls to Danity Kane, there's going to be some type of born to sing in there. It's just a watershed moment. And then what hold on did. And of course, you know, you can't really say when, um, it was R&B hip hop or it was new Jack when something started, but it was just kind of in that stage where, Next, you had the Mary J. Blige's and you had this kind of, you know, sound that just kind of really perfected the blend of hip hop and R&B, kind of created that space for it. And Born to Sing is one of those albums. So that is my campaign for Born to Sing being listed as one of the greatest R&B albums of all time. And I would rank it pretty high, at least in the maybe I would say definitely top 100. So wait, you know, you mentioned something about Coco. (laughs) from SWV saying, saying that, you know, how much she loved in Vogue. I had no idea. Like, Coco was very interesting. And I saw an interview that she did just really giving in Vogue their props for kind of being, like, the first girl group to kind of usher in that new wave and that new sound of, like, you know, women who can really sing. I was kind of surprised because, I mean, I don't really hear Coco <laughs> giving a whole lot of applause to other singers like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, if anyone who's followed Coco over the last few years, you know, you understand where, I come, where I'm coming from. But it was it's, it's really interesting to hear the impact that they really had on so many um, singers who came after them. Or who were even, you know, out with them at the same, you know, time. And right, and to be groundbreaking, I think people don't realize, like, it's not years. Like, if if I were to do something groundbreaking today, it has instant results. And so, April nineteen ninety, I'm not. I think TLC came out sometime in nineteen ninety one. But whatever in between that time, Left Eye, you know, she had that born to sing record on her wall and then of course she was probably rapping before that but then they're rapping before tlc is out and again in vogue wasn't the first girl group out there it wasn't like girl groups had disappeared it was just what they were putting out did not match the level of integrity of what in vogue put out and so that's why it was this big cosmic shift and then you had the tlc's and swv's and jades and spice girls and pussycat dolls and destiny child and 702s and allures and you know so forth and so on it just goes it just really went on and on and on and on brownstone uh for real i mean we could keep going but it all leads back to april 1990 born to sing so Josh, is is this one of the greatest R and B albums of all time for you, to uh, Mr. Shady today? Uh, I th- I think it is. I think it is. I think like it is. There's a case to be made for it for sure. Like I think the there like like what Matan was saying. It's like it's there's the record, but then there's the impact. And like I feel like you mm-hmm. can't like <laughs> even some of the worst records created the biggest impact, right? Like, this is not the case. But I'm just saying, like, you have to sort of link the two. And I just feel like you can't... When, you, when you're talking about the greatest of whatever, it's never just because the music is good. It's always about what, what was the impact. And that was a shift. Like, 
I hope y'all have y'all ever seen that like pyramid chart of like the girl groups of the nineties, like where they kind of like pyramided it out and did like tears. They basically went through. Was that the one where they tried to put in Vogue below? Escape? I think so. It was something weird. Mm, I saw. I saw but, like, a delusion. <laughs> I thought it was interesting based off of like the because the sheer volume of groups, even ones we that never even had a hit, and so you do have to kind of trace it back and be like, well. I feel like in Vogue really was the the moment that then created the whole wave. Um, so yeah, this is an this is an iconic album to me, and it's probably one of the greatest um, R and B records. Um, I'll reiterate, the cover is not iconic, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but the music is. As I sit here and, and talk about the album and think about the album, I think I actually like it better than Funky Divas, which I never thought I would actually say, but. Song for song, track for track, I think it's probably, like, my favorite In Vogue album. It's a fun record. Yeah, like, it's it, it feels really good. And I think what, what really tops it for me, though, are, like, the little skits and, like, the little, like, showing that personality. Like, it feels like such a, probably, like, their most cohesive album to me. Mm, I like that. Yeah, like it, it feels really, really good. So, and and plus, when you think about the impact that this album had, four number one R and B singles, all the R and B girl groups that came after it, we all know that record labels, when they see something working for someone else, they instantly want one. Whether it's a female group, a male group, a, a kids group, a female rapper, whatever, you know, I think Invoke definitely started a trend for you know black women in the industry. Definitely an iconic, one of the greatest R&B albums of the time, especially, you know, of that era. So props to Born to Sing. We're giving it all its flowers today. Hallelujah. And also the podcast is part of us from, you know, taken from part of me. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think we actually said that. I don't think we actually acknowledged that, did we? We didn't acknowledge it, but it's a fan cast. They should know. We, we, we should rebrand it waiting on you since we love that track so much. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, submission letters. We don't have any. So you guys, any questions you have, if you want to know our thoughts, you want to hear um, the former voice of reason. Um <laughs> <laughs> you want to hear his opinions <laughs> on anything? Uh, Matan, myself, Champ, we're ready to answer um, anything that you have, and you can be featured on an upcoming episode. Well, I guess that is our time for today. Um, just as a reminder, folks, you can find us on anywhere that you listen to podcasts. So Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, uh, YouTube. Um, and you can find out more about us and more in, in Vogue related content um, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at in Vogue Craze. The next episode is going to be a spicy one, folks. We are deep diving into all things Dawn Rock. Robinson. That's right. The highs, the lows, the in-betweens. We're going to talk the split from In Vogue, The Firm, Lucy Pearl, solo album ventures, uh, In Vogue reunions, and what she's up to today, and whether she could, would, or should ever rejoin the ladies again. So get ready and stay tuned for episode three. Um, comments or questions, send it to us. We want to hear what you think. Um, the good, bad, and the ugly invoke <laughs> um, craze at gmail.com. Um, I want to thank my co-hosts uh, before we bounce for joining us today. We miss you, champ. 
maybe next time we all be back. <laughs> um, and yeah, like, uh, I'm Josh. I'll let everybody just sort of, uh, go around and say bye and let us, let folks know where to find you. Um, I'm Josh. You can find me at Josh Jinx, J O S H J E N K S on all the platforms. I'm JP, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Everybody Loves JP. That's every E V E R Y B D Y loves JP. We'll we'll see what Dawn has to say when she hears. And I am Matan, and you can find, well, you can't find me, but you can find videos I post on YouTube under Your Little Dog too. That's U-R-L-I-L-D-A-W-G. Um, that's going to be on YouTube. And I just posted in Vogue's performance, a recent performance from the 2021 Phoenix Awards celebrating the 50th anniversary of the Congressional Black Caucus. They performed for BET. That's on my YouTube channel. Check it out. Cool. Well, until next time. Thank you all for listening and bye. This episode of Part of Us at Invoke Fancast was researched, written, produced, and edited by Matthew at Culture Inject Productions. The intro and outro music was produced by Wolves and Vincent Tone. We're more than just a podcast. We're a fan community. You can keep up to date on Invoke and chat with other fans by visiting Invoke Craze on Facebook. You can also follow us on YouTube and Instagram at Invoke Craze and Twitter at Part of Us Fancast. Part of Us and Invoke Fancast is not endorsed by Invoke, E1 Music, or Invoke Records and is intended for entertainment and educational purposes only. Invoke and its names, images, and audio clips are registered trademarks and or copyrights of the respective copyright holders. How do I stop recording this? Okay. <laughs>